Welcome to Metal Injections, the Squared Circle Pit. Today's special guest, Aubrey Sinnerson. And now, here's your host, Rob Haspani. It's a wonderful time of year. It's Halloween season. Welcome back to Squared Circle Pit. Really excited about this episode. I go off with my good buddy, Aubrey Sitterson. You might remember him from the Straight Shoot podcast. And it was actually the first wrestling podcast that ever invited me on as a guest. So I figured I'd return the favor. And uh, Aubrey is a great guest. I always enjoy pontificating about pro wrestling with him. And uh, the reason I had Aubrey on is because he has a great new comic book out called The Comic Book Story of Professional Wrestling that I absolutely think you would enjoy if you are a new or a longtime fan of pro wrestling and a fan of comic books. It's a really fun comic. We talk about that. We talk about Aubrey's love of heavy metal. And uh, we talk about the connection between the two metal and pro wrestling, as we always do here at Squared Circle Pit. If this is your first time listening to Squared Circle Pit, please check out the archives. I have so many awesome interviews with awesome guests. On the wrestling side, cool guests like Eric Bischoff, Kenny Omega, Chris Jericho, who could also be on the metal side, and uh, uh, Bubba Ray Dudley. And on the metal side, I got Slipknot's Corey Taylor, uh, Maynard from Tool, so many cool guests, Scott from Neurosis, Stavros from Atlas Moth, Converges Jacob Annan, lots of awesome guests. So check out the Squared Circle Pit archives on Metal Injection. And let's talk to Aubrey. And at the end of the interview, I'll, I'll give some pro wrestling thoughts of the moment. Now entering the Squared Circle Pit, we have the author of the comic book story of professional wrestling, and a man who enjoys himself some graps. I'm talking about Aubrey Sitterson. Thank you, Aubrey, for coming on the Squared Circle Pit. Hey, man. Thanks for finally having me on the show. It's been a long time coming, I feel like. It has been. It's been ever since I started the show, I knew I wanted to have you on. You had me on your old show, The Straight Shoot, uh, multiple times. Yes, which I always yeah. enjoyed. You are a intelligent wrestling fan. <laughs> hey, thanks, man. So I enjoy talking shop with you. And let's let's quickly just discuss this book. It's so awesome. I feel it, this is a great. It came out at a great time because with the holidays coming around, I think this book would make a great gift for longtime professional wrestling fans and fans who are just getting into professional wrestling. Ah, that's really good to hear, man. That and was like a that was a big concern of ours going into it that we wanted, you know, like, and it's tough because it, they're different audiences that want different things. So we tried to load it up with Easter eggs for the hardcores, but also you know, keep it accessible. And the hope was that this thing could work as a primer, right? Like you can, if, if there's somebody who doesn't like wrestling or hasn't watched in years or doesn't even understand what the deal is with wrestling, that you could put this in their hands. And even if it doesn't make a wrestling fan out of them, hopefully they'll appreciate why we love it. Yeah. And I really like, there's like a bunch of asides and kind of like, I don't know, like guides to the lingo and, and all the different territories and everything. How did, how did you, I mean, you know, obviously you've been a wrestling fan forever, but how did this book, what was the the basis for the book? The, idea the Genesis, yes. the Genesis for the comic book story of professional wrestling. So I was fortunate. So, you know, normally if you're, if you've written a book or a comic book or, you know, any, anything in the publishing world, um, it works very similar in comics. It does uh, to, you know, trade like prose publishing. And this was through Penguin Random House, right? Which is a big trade publisher. Um, 
normally what happens is you get a pitch together or you write the whole thing and you get an agent and then you use that agent to pitch publishers and then hopefully they dig it and they have notes and you do it. Uh, this project came about a little differently uh, because – Patrick Barb, who's my editor at 10 Speed, he was actually a straight shoot fan. So he probably heard you on there a bunch with me talking shop about wrestling. And he is the editor of this line uh, at 10 Speed Press, which is a division of Penguin Random House. And it's the comic book story of books. And so they had done beer and video games and um, they were they had baseball in the works and they've got some other ones that are coming up, which I don't think are announced yet. So I don't want to spoil it. I don't want to get in trouble with the publisher, but uh, they knew they wanted to do wrestling. And so he had the bright idea of reaching out to the guy who has worked in comics and has worked in wrestling and had a wrestling podcast. And was I was writing G.I. Joe at the time when he reached out to me. So it was kind of a it was a perfect fit. So it was presented to you. And exactly. Then... Yeah. He came to me and asked, you know, do I want to do the comic book story of professional wrestling? And I said, of course I do. And so from there, it was just a matter of, you know, I said I still had to put together an outline and like a formal pitch for the publisher um, just to sell them on the idea that there was enough to cover. Right. Because like people who aren't wrestling fans, they oftentimes don't know how deep this stuff goes. And then the big thing was finding our artist. And we were fortunate enough to bring Chris Moreno on board, who I'd worked with previously on Worth, which is a graphic novel we did with the Roddenberry guys. And uh, he was he's I don't know. We were really, really fortunate um, to have Chris because he's the perfect guy for this stuff because he's so good at caricature. Right. And there's like hundreds of wrestlers in this thing. And so he needed to be able to draw each of them in a way that's recognizable, but also doesn't look like stiff or wooden or like light boxed. Right. Which a lot of people do when they when they're trying to get likenesses. Right. Um, but also to do all the period stuff. Um, and yeah, he nailed it, man. And he's um, I didn't know this when I reached out to him about it, but he's also a big fan of nonfiction comics right like there's like this line called like the big book of that came out in the 90s and mm -hmm. um like old will eisner um books about like preventative maintenance and stuff that he did for the army um chris loves that stuff and so he's able to really put all that stuff to good use here yeah i think he did a incredible job and i've i've commented on your social media posts about how i was blown away at some of his caricatures and how how he's so able to like capture people's essences you know i don't even have to look at the captions to see who the illustration is of because it's it's such an accurate portrayal sometimes almost like i could almost see the reference photograph <laughs> with right. some of these and i mean that as a compliment like it's so good and it really makes reading the whole book pleasurable like like right. it's, a, it's a fun experience just to like look at these cool illustrations and then with the history thing i like i know uh, from what I know of you, it seems like you probably had to like rack your brain and really have to like think about how you were going to tackle this. How did you organize your thoughts? There's so much history. There's so many different timelines. Yeah. Like, how did you organize your thoughts to be to come together into like a cohesive book with a beginning, middle and end? Yeah. So, I mean, that was that was the biggest concern for me, honestly, because a thing that is a pet peeve of mine when I when I consume nonfiction work, right, whether it's comics or prose or documentaries or anything is when it just when it doesn't feel like a story, when it doesn't feel like a narrative. Right. And I think that there's a difference between narrative and story and anecdote. Right. And the difference is that with anecdote, it's just a list of things that happened. And 
you know, a lot of documentaries or nonfiction books take that route and it can be accurate in terms of like just how many things are included, but I don't think it makes for a compelling read necessarily. And more importantly, I, I think that you miss out on things because you, you know, when you're, we really wanted this to be a story. Right. We we didn't just want to list all of the important moments in wrestling history. Right. Like you can go to like a million like listicle articles on the Internet to find that stuff. We wanted to present this as a continual a continuing conversation. Right. Because that's what it is. I think that's what all art forms are. Right. Um, and to do that, I had to kind of hone in on a few through lines, right? Uh, some things that I knew would get expressed again and again and that we could kind of use as our home base to kind of reach out and explore these other areas of wrestling. And so early, early on, I kind of, I sat down and I figured out like what my thesis statements for this book were going to be and like what I was going to organize the rest of it about around. And from there it was, um, you know, it, it the book tr goes mostly chronological and my initial intent was to do it completely chronological, but um, in the middle of the book, um, there we actually um, take a detour. We take like our international detour. <laughs> there's there's a chapter on uh, lucha libre. There's a chapter on wrestling in the UK, and there's a chapter on wrestling in Japan. And the reason I did that is because those traditions, as important as they are, and as much as they overlap and inform and in, are informed by wrestling in the US, they also kind of have their own thesis statements. And so we kind of had to go a little bit off course so we could bring it all back for like the final chapters. But yeah, man, it was it was tough. And like the toughest thing was figuring out what to cut because I have you know it's it's a dense it's not book. a lot but in there. There's even I'm I'm surprised there's even like Lucha Underground, like modern stuff. You got the young bucks in here, Kenny yeah, Omega, man. like yeah, I mean, it's, it was tough. I mean, it was tough. So, I mean, that, and that was another struggle too. So it was tough figuring out what to cut because there is so much and there were things I wanted to cover that didn't fit in. But, you know, that was part of making it a narrative and part of making it a story, which is that you don't just get to throw everything in. You know, there are like some favorite wrestlers of mine that I didn't get to put in there because they just didn't, they just didn't fit. Right. Who, um, who, like who? Uh, big cat Ernie Ernie big cat lad is not mm. in it. And I love his story. Uh, Minoru Suzuki's not in it, man. Um, you know, like, uh, and I love that stuff, but it just didn't really fit. You know, Pancrase and stuff didn't really fit in with the narrative that we were telling. Um, mm -hmm. you know, it's another example. And then yeah, so like, even once I kind of mapped this thing out, um, and initially, honestly, there wasn't going to be a British wrestling chapter. I was going to like fold that in with like the larger wrestling stuff, and I just realized that it was. It was so different and so unique of a tradition that I needed to kind of give it its own space. But so I had to carve that out of the other stuff, the other page count that I had allotted. But in terms of the recency stuff, man, like I that was a real struggle, too, because, you know, you want I wanted this thing to be as current as possible because I want it to be evergreen. Right. I want it to last and be valid as long as possible. But so much of how we I wrote this book was based on being able to look back and, you know, I made judgments on what to include less on, you know, how good the wrestling was or how popular it was at the time or what my favorites were and more based on historical significance, right? Like that was kind of my guiding light. But if you're talking about stuff that happened last year, it's difficult to get the distance on it to really analyze it and discuss it, you know? So there were some things like that are big, big, um, 
things in like big currents in modern wrestling, contemporary wrestling, right? Like for instance, like the back and forth about Roman Reigns in WWE, like that's huge. And that touches on a lot of aspects that we touch on in the book in terms of like, um, getting worked and like the, the complicity in the work and how companies use that. But like, we didn't have, when I was writing this thing, you know, a year and a half ago, I didn't have the distance on it yet to really be able to explore that. Um, and you know, similarly with things like all in, right? Like I wrote this thing before all in had been announced. So, you know, things like yeah. all in, which is massive for the wrestling industry, sadly didn't, didn't make the timeline. Books but. already outdated. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> for the trying, second I edition. Like, I, I feel like I'm running down my own book here, but that's not the intent. Like I just, no, no, I, no. I, I wrote, I wrote this thing and like, as soon as I finished it, I, I started bracing myself for what I knew was going to be coming, which was how could you, how could you forget this right how could you forget minoru suzuki it's like motherfucker i didn't forget minoru suzuki he just didn't he just didn't fit there's only yeah. 170 pages to cover you know 140 years of history so yeah uh yeah and i i, I it's it's awesome and i think what's really cool is how actual pro wrestlers have <laughs> spoken positively of the book i saw a social media post from Corey graves from Shayna baszler and even on the back of your book, I think it's really cool. You got some cool quotes from uh, some big names here, uh, like yeah. uh, Cody Rhodes, even Robert Kirkman, uh, the creator of The Walking Dead. So it's cool to yeah. see the, the Dude, positive Xavier Woods, Xavier Woods tweeted about it today. I was very excited. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah so that, that must be that must be a trip. I feel <laughs> just you know these guys that uh, that that you looked up to and enjoyed are now enjoying your work. Yeah. I mean, and that's important. It's really important to me. Um, like I, I'm thrilled whenever anybody likes the book, obviously, but it was so important to me writing it that it not only be accurate, but it'd be respectful. And this is, this is a tough thing for somebody writing or talking about wrestling. I feel like we've talked about this before that like, it's difficult not to veer into Mark mode. Right. Um, and like, you don't want to be, um, I don't know. You don't want to be the Reddit comments section, right? Like, you know, uh -oh. <laughs> uh, like, like, I don't know. Like there's some, there's some decent folks in there, but it's also like, it's a, it's a toxic environment and it's a lot of backseat booking and acting like, you know, more about the product than the people actually creating the product. And this is a, this isn't just in wrestling. This is in, this is a culture wide thing. Right. And you don't, I, I didn't want to be that. I wanted to be something that the wrestlers themselves would think was respectful because I, I know and am friends with a lot of these guys, you know, and I wanted to do something that honored wrestling as opposed to, you know, trying to pull back the curtain or expose it or, you know, like I, it, it was part of the approach that I, I, it was important to me that wrestlers dig this too. So the fact that they do is, um, it's enormous, honestly. And, uh, uh, wheeling it back a little, you know, this podcast is about, I like to say the intersection of metal and pro wrestling. Mm -hmm. And uh, I always say how I'm always, I've been surprised at how much that Venn diagram intersects. And I wanted to ask you, what is, like, how, what do you feel is the relationship between heavy metal and pro wrestling? I think that, you know, like, uh, like there's all the obvious stuff, right? Like, oh, so and so comes out to this metal, this metalcore band or whatever, right? Like, yeah, sure. But yeah, like, that's not obviously, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Really surface level stuff, right? Yeah. Um, you know, like, Chris Jericho and Fozzie, and like, you know, Chris Jericho is one of my favorites of all times, but like, still, that's, that's pretty shallow in terms of actual connection to metal. I think that the biggest similarity and the biggest overlap 
that I see between metal and wrestling. And I, I think that w- the reason why there is a lot of overlap in the fandoms is because of the importance placed on aesthetics in both. Right. Um, and you know, I, I think some metal guys in my experience, metal fans, um, blanch at this and they pull back from it and like, you know, uh, you know, it's not, it's not about performance. It's not about scene. It's about being like, it's about being legit. It's about being, you know, true cult and like, <laughs> like all that stuff. Right. Um, but that in and of itself is a type of performance and aesthetic, right? And like a lot of my favorite metal bands, they have amazing aesthetics and they know who they are and they know what they look like. And that's part of the performance. This is one of the reasons why live metal is so good because the people performing it on stage typically are keenly aware of the image that they're putting out and how that reflects on the music and your enjoyment of it. And I think that that's also true of wrestling in a really real way, you know, like I talk about it on the page where we discuss gimmicks, right? And like what a gimmick is and like how important that is. And I, I call it, uh, use a German word, um, Gesamtkunstwerk, right? Which means like com- a complete work of art, right? And it's it's not just, you know, a, a wrestler with a good gimmick isn't just a guy who goes out in a costume and wrestles, um, wrestles a match. That costume reflects his character, which is also reflected in the promo he does and the way that he wrestles and the types of storylines he gets into and stuff like that. And similarly, I think a really great metal band is more than just the music. It's the aesthetic. It's, it's what the band members look like. It's how they sound. It's what they sing about. It's the album covers. It's their social media presence. It's all of this stuff. And I don't think like that can sound really cynical. Um, but I think it's, I don't know. I think there's, I think there's beauty in it, honestly, like in like the level of, like the um, how um, detail oriented the thought process in terms of image and aesthetic is in both metal and wrestling. Yeah, that's a good point. And I feel uh, also there is a bit as, you know, weird as it sounds, I feel like there's a bit of a, obviously there's a bit of counterculture to heavy metal. And in a way, I feel like pro wrestling is like the counterculture to sports. Like, <laughs> I feel like a lot of people who like pro wrestling don't necessarily like other sports. Mm-hmm. And, and it's kind of, and much like how heavy metal is in a way mocked and looked down at by other music fans, <laughs> the same could be said about wrestling with sports fans who just don't get it. Sure. Yeah, I think that's I think that's true. And a thing that just occurred to me while you're saying, so I think that's really smart. And a thing that just occurred to me while you're saying that is that, you know, in the same way that wrestling is a deconstruction and then a reconstruction of sports, right? Wrestling takes the formula of what, you know, a super exciting sports ball game. Like, I hate that. I hate it when people do that. But, like, there's any any sporting event, right? Like, wrestling mm-hmm. takes it, and it breaks it down, and then it rebuilds it in such a way that it's a work and it's, um, and it's artifice. And – but it's meant to scratch the same itches and do so in a more intense, aggressive way. Right. Like every like not every football game is super exciting, but every wrestling match, if done well, is super exciting because it's fixed, man. Right. It's it's built to be that way. And I think that I don't like, you know, more than I do. Right. Like you are like I'm a metal fan, but you are a metal expert. Um, I think that to my to my mind, metal works similarly with rock and roll. Right. Like metal takes what was like what is commonly seen as like. 
um, the defining elements of rock and roll, it breaks it down and then it rebuilds it in a more extreme, more aggressive, hyperbolic manner. So I think that I think that both metal and wrestling appeal to people who have, I don't know, kind of like this intense fandom. Right. And this like and this desire to really understand the inner workings of the things they dig. Is that fair? I think that is very fair. And I feel like to get into metal, uh, you kind of have to work at it. You know, metal metal doesn't come to you. You come to metal and you have to like choose to like, you know, uh, look past certain things, maybe like with, for example, death metal vocals. Like it's a big turnoff for many people. But, you know, for some people, they're like, no, I want more extreme music. I will look past the vocals. Some people enjoy the vocals, you know, just to get what I want. So I I do think... what you're saying has some cachet behind it. I agree with you about the reconstructing and everything. Perfect. I was going to ask you to, if you didn't, I was going to ask you to just delete the last five minutes of me babbling. <laughs> just leave it out. I don't want to sound stupid in front of the metal fans. Uh, which which came to you first? Uh, heavy metal or, or pro wrestling? Wrestling. I actually didn't get really into metal until I was working at WWE, actually. Um, I... Man, I grew up, I think we're about the same age. You're maybe a little bit younger than I am. I grew up and I was in high school and like the only metal that was around that anybody was listening to was new metal, which I did, which I know is like currently undergoing like a type of like reappreciation, right? Like a, I don't understand, like, but yeah, <laughs> it is though. It is right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, well, I mean, it's I, been long enough where, you know, everything like hair metal went through this whole thing 10 years ago. It's now new metal's. Exactly. And it's fine. And I don't have any, like I don't I don't have an axe to grind. Yeah. But when I was in high school and the like when people talked about metal, all I thought about was like corn and coal chamber and Marilyn Manson. And I didn't like that stuff. Um and so I got into hardcore. Um, but I don't know, just like kind of like local like youth crew hardcore. And that I, counts. it does. I count it. It's it different. different. I can see how you see it. it's it's different, I think but to like me a, it's all like any aggressive rock music. To me, I I'm like, oh, uh, it's metal. <laughs> so here's the thing, though. I mean, and like I never really clicked with hardcore, and I, I think a big part of it is. So here, look, this is this is a good comics tie-in too. Uh, Grant Morrison has this book called Super Gods, and it's really weird and great. It's prose, and it's like semi-autobiographical, but it's also, dude, wrestling fans will dig it too because a lot of it's just fucking bullshit, and it's just like self self mythologizing, and it's awesome um but in it he talks about how like countercultures veer back and forth between short hair aesthetics and long hair aesthetics and short hair aesthetics are militant and about conformity and um and like everybody getting in line right and how punk is a short hair aesthetic right um and he talks about it in terms he talks about like psychedelia right like psych rock and stuff and how that's a long hair aesthetic but i think the same applies to a lot of metal too i think metal is um, you know, not all like I think you get into the really aggressive like black metal, like like you know like serious, very serious about themselves black metal, and it becomes pretty militant. But I think a lot of metal, the metal I like, veers towards this kind of more like this weirder, more freewheeling, long-haired aesthetic. And I don't know, I just didn't have access to that um, when I was growing up, and it was just never around. And so I don't know, I just I I didn't know that there was good metal to listen to, <laughs> which sounds. I hear you. Uh, no, I, I actually think that's a, a, a. I really like that Grant Mar- Morrison uh, comment about the long hair aesthetic and the short hair aesthetic. I think there's definitely metal bands that fit into into both aesthetics for sure. Yeah. Just like the, it took me a long time to figure out that I have a long hair aesthetic, right? And I, the, 
it sounds dumb now because you know you can get Spotify and YouTube and Apple Music and you can just listen to anything whenever you want and that wasn't really the case and metal you kind of needed somebody to be your um your guide right and like like hold your hand and like show you some stuff and I just never found it man outside of like some metalcore stuff that I listened to in high school and college and um it wasn't until I was working at WWE and I had like gone through my like really like heavy like garage rock and um cuz that's the other thing too man like I like I like rippers, man. Like I like, <laughs> I like, I like riffs and licks and just fucking soaring guitar solos. Like I, I, I dig like big arena, like big arena rock, cock rock stuff. Right. Like we've talked about Van Halen before and yeah. like, uh, and like the metal that I was getting exposed to wasn't really that so much anymore. And then Especially I was in the early two thousands. It was very, exactly. not that's what I'm yeah. talking about. Yeah. And so like when I was working, I started working at, WWE in like 2008 and I remember I had Pandora and I just had it running all the time um with my big headphones on just to drown out everybody around me um and um it's just me in a workplace and um man uh you know and like with Pandora at the time like it was still the thing where like you would thumbs maybe it still is like you thumbs up and thumbs down stuff that you dig and I found out I found out I found myself like the the station that was just like Aubrey's favorite music it was just playing non-stop the sword and the sword was like my gateway drug um, into into metal in a really real way. And I know like some people hack on them, don't they? Like, are they cool anymore? Well, they just broke up. But uh, I know. I, know. Uh, like- I think they kind of. I mean, when they first came out, people were like, "Oh, they're just ripping Black Sabbath," which is just like, who isn't? <laughs> but I feel like they've gained a modicum of respect now, especially in the stoner rock community. And at the time, they were like the only band. I feel uh, in the you know, in the public eye. And now there's such a scene around them that it's not as well, changed a lot too. Like their, their music has changed and evolved a lot yeah, too, which yeah, has been yeah. fun. To, like they've just slowly just like, they slowly just morphed into the Almond brothers, which I dig, but <laughs> I know not, that's not for everybody, but yeah, man, like that, like, and like prior to that, like when I was in college, like I had a friend, um, his name was Emerson Hoff, who was like, who was kind of my metal guide. And like he, um, cause he was like, he was listening to some of this, like, he was looking at some of the stuff that I was listening to and I did like, and he was like, Oh dude, you know what you would like? Like just fucking doom metal. And I was like, what the fuck is doom metal? Mm-hmm. He's like, Oh, it's just, it's just slow and heavy and you just go and you stand there and you get fucking baked. <laughs> um, and, you, and then, and this, this riffs just wash over you. And so he gave me like a stack of stuff to listen to. And like, um, like sleep was in there, of course, and weed eater and bongzilla electric wizard. Um, and some other stuff too. Um, but like that was, you know, that was kind of the start. And, but like, I only listened to that for a really long time. Cause I just thought that those were, um, like kind of outliers and there wasn't anything else like that. Um, and then, yeah, man. Um, so yeah, I'm, this, this is a long way of saying that. Yeah. Wrestling came to me first. <laughs> when, uh, do you remember like your earliest wrestling memory? Yeah. Um, Bret Hart given those glasses to some kid like it wasn't a match or anything it was just bret hart um and and uh just him being bret hart and loving that and also ultimate warrior just running full sprint again not a match or anything just ultimate warrior very metal very metal do you remember like do you have like a first event that you remember or anything like that no i don't honestly like i i wasn't like i wasn't a diehard wrestling kid um i liked it whenever it was on and then like once i hit high school it was omnipresent because it was Monday Night Wars era mm-hmm. and like everybody was watching it. So it just it felt like it was always on. Like if I was at somebody's house, it was just on. But I never like went out of my way to watch it. I didn't fall into wrestling really deep until I was working at Marvel. Um, so 
<laughs> the truth be told, comics came to me first before any of this shit, mm-hmm. right? Uh, like comics is what like really like um, that's what I fell deep into first, and then I fell deep into wrestling when I was working at Marvel because I you know working at Marvel was a dream job, but I was spending all day making comics. And then I'd go home and I'd read comics, or I would go out to a bar. Right, you need you need to get away from comics, basically. Like yeah, you need dude, a I'm hobby. sure same way with metal. Like you need yeah. other shit, you know, to 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 geek out about, especially once it becomes your job. And so I stumbled across wrestling one night, and I remember what it was. I remember what like, <laughs> what like like made it click for me and me me think like, oh yeah, this is what I need in my life. It was like a weird. So it was like 2000. 2006 it was right before Eddie Guerrero died um, and it was like one of his last angles and it was him and Batista and it was like this wacky bad just really if you're watching WWE in that era you know how bad this shit was it was awful Um, and it was them backstage and like Eddie Guerrero was like like I remember like I remember it is like Eddie Guerrero trying to like trick like trick Batista into getting a proctology exam and then it backfiring and then Eddie having to get the proctology exam. And that was the whole joke. And that was the bit. And I was like, Oh my God, this is perfect. This is like so crass and just like surface level, just like, like storytelling, just like really, just really crass, um, like lowest common denominator going for like the most visceral reaction possible. And you were Um, like, yes, this is for me. And that's what I wanted. Yeah, man. And I was like, and I, you know, initially I was like drawn in by like the similarities to comics. And again, it was like, it was surface level similarities. It was things like, Oh, you know, they're live action superheroes and good versus evil morality plays and stuff. And all that's true. But, um, I don't know. The more I watched wrestling and as I fell down that rabbit hole, I kind of realized how, different they are and like what a unique thing it is um from comics and from everything else honestly and hey man while we're talking about it dude that like that willingness to be crass and go for the obvious and just run with it and get like that visceral reaction i think that's something else that that wrestling has in common with metal right yeah i would i would uh i would say that as well yeah that's that's a good point i would agree with that completely just to like the the urge to offend people. <laughs> yeah, if you willing to, you know, and yeah. like, just, yeah, I don't know. I, I, it's not always appropriate, and it doesn't always land properly, right? mm-hmm. like in any medium. But I, it's something I, it's something I like and respect, and I am glad that it exists. You know, in in whatever medium yeah. we're talking about. And really, about. I mean, if we talk about it, I could compare anything to. I feel like everything is pro wrestling. <laughs> you know, like pop, yeah, yeah, I think that. One of my that's kind of one of one of the through lines of the book, right? Um, it's that like wrestling's always been wrestling, and that wrestling is like wrestling has things. Wrestling is a unique thing. I think it's different from any other medium, any other storytelling medium. Um, but it all, but it has a lot to teach us about everything else. Truly, yeah. Like just the concept of kayfabe, I feel is so prevalent in all of society. <laughs> like different forms of kayfabe, I feel yeah. like. Like, especially, especially in politics, you know, the the thing you say to your constituents versus like your true intentions. Dude, I mean, and if you want to get like if you want to get all college boy about it, um, you know what kayfabe really, you know what another word for kayfabe is? Um, identity performance, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> like it, it, people talk about like I know identity politics has become like this really loaded term, right? Mm-hmm. Like from for people on like every side of the political spectrum. But identity politics is an actual thing, right? Like just the use of that term doesn't. 
Right. Like, it's been it, it doesn't imply like, a judgment. or whatever. Yeah. 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 Like identity politics is a thing. It's this idea that who you are and the identity that you portray is a performance. And this is something that you um, consciously or subconsciously choose and put out there for the world. Right. And, you know, genders performed race, um, sexuality, ethnicity, all of that stuff is performed. Right. Um, and I think that that is, you know, that's kayfabe, man. Like the, the decision to, for whatever reason, perform this thing um, that may or may not be true, um, but it is expedient or necessary or desirable for some reason to perform. It's yeah, it touches everything. Uh, and I'm curious now, like there identity were... politics, Rob. Let's talk about identity politics. Well, with the, with the politics, <laughs> the politics <laughs> thing, uh, I don't I want to not get too into the identity politics, but. I know that politics uh, made you not want to watch WWE for a while after uh, Linda McMahon was named as Trump's small uh, business, whatever it's she like is. The stupidest, I love it because it's like the stupidest name of any position ever. It's the administrator of the Small Business Administration. Like they couldn't find another word. Right. <laughs> they used, they used like derivatives of administrate twice. Um, yeah, and also no, so they we, donated a ton of money to the campaign. And and I so what I was getting at is that like you kind of felt a little dirty watching WWE, and at the time it wasn't exactly at a creative high point. So you decided to take a break and and focus on. Uh, let me clarify that a little bit because oh, sure. I, yeah, like, and this was like a thing I went to pains to clarify, like on the episode where we talked about it. But like it's a, it seems like an. Uh, a, a, like a subtle distinction. It's a, it's a really important one, I think. My issue wasn't so much that I, I didn't want to watch WWE anymore. It wasn't a boycott. I think, uh, man, you're you're with me uh, on this stuff. I think boycotts are capitalist solutions to capitalist problems, right? I don't think boycotts do anything. Um, it wasn't a boycott. It wasn't, oh my God, I can't believe they did this and I'm not going to watch this anymore. It was the fact that I didn't like that I, all of a sudden, it would be one thing if I was just watching it, but I was doing a show and I was doing I was dedicating a lot of time and energy to doing a weekly show promoting their stuff. Right. And like mm -hmm. I I've worked at WWE and I worked at WWE Games and I know how the, I know how marketing at these companies works. I didn't like the fact that I was a piece of somebody's marketing deck presentation. Right. That, oh, well, you know, a great thing we have going on right now is we have all these guys on YouTube who no matter what we do on Raw, whether it's really good or really bad, they're going to go online and talk about it and advertise it for us, right? Um, I didn't like being part of – I didn't like actively promoting it. Um, and, you know, if I wasn't going to be actively promoting it on my show and I was going to be watching all this other stuff to talk about on my show, I just didn't have time to be watching <laughs> You know, like seven or eight hours of WWE programming a week. Um, and so I walked away from it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, I see. So like, it was, it was it, a little it, less hysterical than perhaps the end of that made it seem to be. A little bit less what? Uh, hysterical. Like, I feel like I feel like every week you were like uh, just, you know, on Twitter. I don't want to say like battling, but like having to deal with these these people trying to like dunk on you for like oh, a hypocrisy well, that twitter. didn't exist yeah that's just twitter right yeah, yeah you're <laughs> like right. everything everything online is more hysterical but than now it but what i've got now now you're now that you said you said once you stopped doing the show you felt you could kind of come back into watching wrestling and i think it was around wrestlemania that you started uh yeah wrestlemania your was the first wrestlemania was like the first like 
re, like contemporary. Like I'd gone back and like watched some old stuff and things like that, like on YouTube or you know, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Bar, bar people's WWE Network passwords and stuff. But WrestleMania was the first thing I I um, like the contemporary first contemporary thing that I came back and watched. And like since then, I've watched stuff here and there. Um, but you know, um, honestly, like my favorite hit right now is New Japan, and New Japan Absolutely. is like. New Japan is like the appropriate amount of wrestling for me. That's the other thing I really like about wrestling, about New Japan. Like, you know, once a year they do the G1 and that's like exhausting and a, a, like maybe too much wrestling. But the rest of the year, it's, I don't know, it's it's manageable. And that's well, what's interesting I, that's, is like it's exhausting, but then they basically take a month off to the point where you're like, man, I miss New Japan. Like, I know. I was, <laughs> it was the nuttiest thing. Like a week after the G1 stopped, I was like, God damn it. I wish... <laughs> I wish yeah. it was twice as long, right? Uh, yeah, like uh, these power struggles. And also these pa- power struggle, was that the tour that just ended? Uh, I'm not good with my branding. But whatever that King tour. Of Pro Wrestling. King, of Pro, well, King Wrestling. of Pro Wrestling was the event that happened this week. But before yeah. that, there were those like two weeks of, of touring where they had like. It was, it was Destruction, wasn't oh, it? Oh, Destruction. Yeah, you're right. You're yeah. right. Uh, yeah, like these non-big events, their branding I'm kind of off on. But I just couldn't wait until those shows started again because for me personally in terms of pace and storytelling i agree with you new japan absolutely nails it absolutely delivers and and, and sometimes i feel like there's not enough of it but nothing I think that's a good problem to have yeah I absolutely better, better that enough. than too much and there's like my favorite thing is waking up on a saturday or a sunday since i'm on the east coast i can't really watch it live knowing there is a fantastic four-hour pay-per-view waiting oh, for me dude. That's my favorite too. I I turn I like I delete social media from my phone. I like remind myself like not to look, and I get up and I make a I make a pot of coffee and I sit down and <laughs> get to watching it, and it's great, man. No, it's so good. Uh, it's kind of sucked this week with the King of Pro Wrestling, which was an amazing show from top to bottom. It was on a it. Monday, and like I'm like, well, I can't. Wa- I have to work, <laughs> and just throughout the day, all the big it's a things. People's Day. You could have taken it off. I could have taken it off, but I, I decided to work. <laughs> I made the choice to work. And, like, all the big angles were kind of spoiled for me. But here's what I want to say. Even though I knew where everything was going because I would just see a screenshot of, like, oh, Kenny Omega celebrating after the show, which I expected him to win. Yeah. Or or even the, the Jay White uh, Bullet Club angle. I uh, hate that I got spoiled on that. You, you didn't do it. Somebody else did. But, like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm I mean, not. Yeah, it got spoiled for me as well. It got spoiled for me by the official New Japan account, which I'm like, come on, guys. Wait a day. Get it, though. They've got social media. You know, yeah, they, yeah. They, they, don't, no. if they don't post it. Somebody else will. And right. then somebody else will get the And also, and it's I, happened. It's happened already. They have. It's a live event, right? Yeah. You don't, you, don't, you don't try not to spoil people on the Super Bowl or whatever. It right, happened. Right, right, right. Yeah. So I don't get too upset about it. But what I will say, though, is even though I knew Jay White was joining Bullet Club, that angle, which it's not an original angle, it's it's a very common pro wrestling trope. It was executed so well that even though I knew where it was going, I was still marking out like crazy. Like when Okada runs out to save Tanahashi, I'm like, holy shit, this is so crazy. This is like this is like Batman coming out to save Superman for the first time or whatever. And like you know, then the whole angle with the Bullet Club surrounding the ring again. It's done every week with the shield or what it's nothing new, but just all the beats that they took and, and the way they told the story, you know, it was great. It was perfect. It was the perfect angle and it got me so hyped on all the matches. Yeah, I think, you know, it's it's funny. Like you're right. Like this isn't it's not anything unique. It's not anything new. It's not anything anything particularly brilliant. It's just a guy defecting and joining another faction, right? Uh, but I think that 
you know, when you compare to WWE, and you have to, because and I know a lot of people get like salty about like, oh, I wish you we could just enjoy wrestling without looking at it through the lens of WWE. Well, you can't. It's impossible. WWE has been the <laughs> the world leader in wrestling for decades, and there's not even a close second place, right? right? So you have to look at it through there. Like they've defined wrestling for generations. For better of or worse, <laughs> you have to look at it through the lens. Yeah, and when you do that, though, I think it's really fascinating because you know. New Japan's success and their growth in the past few years, it's really come about as a result of them becoming more like WWE. Them doing more like North American doing more, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like, like for as much as people talk about like, oh yeah, Strong Style and Pro Wrestling and all this stuff, like the stuff that's actually connecting with people and building their audience, it's really, really North American style wrestling. I and, absolutely agree with you. And, and the I, other thing that, the yeah. other thing that I think that like jumps out to me when I'm whenever I'm having these conversations is WWE, I think, is very much a victim of their own success in that, you know, they built the, they have this network and the way they see it and they're not wrong is if you're watching anything that's not WWE if you're watching New Japan if you're watching Ring of Honor Evolve indie stuff whatever that means that there are hours in the day that they could be giving you more WWE content right and so they're just trying to crowd out the marketplace that's how that's how business works and they do this by creating all of this fucking programming and it's just too much. And it yeah. means that they have to, even with this amazing, you know, a, uh, the WWE's roster is ridiculous. I was going to say, even to, to your point, they have to kind of like sign all of these people. And, they, and sometimes it's not necessarily because they have a plan for them. It's because this person is a key to a competitor, uh, and, and the competitor's growth, and so they want to stop the competitor's growth, and so they nab the wrestler, who they can very much afford to pay, and just have him sit at home or wrestle what, in main event or whatever. Like Finn Balor, what, for example. It's what uh, WCW used to do, man. Right. Um, during the nine days of WCW. But, yeah, I mean, and the other thing, though, I mean, the way this, how this impacts them creatively, I think, is that, you know, so they have to make all these new shows, right, because they want to compete and they want to <laughs> force everybody else out of the market. And... They they have to fill this content with something. Three hours of Raw, two hours of SmackDown, an hour of NXT, an hour of um, 205 Live. Yeah, the uh, Facebook comes them. Here's a million dollars a week for Mixed Match Challenge. Sure, we'll do this oh, too. Got it. Yeah, we'll do we'll do the May Young Challenge. We'll do um, we'll do shows in Saudi Arabia and uh, Australia and all this stuff. And what it means is they have to burn through content. They have to burn through angles at such an impressive rate that you don't actually get to sit on it and ruminate over it and like get expectant over it in the way that you do for new Japan. Right. Like yes. you can, you can sit on thinking like, Oh, well who's Kenny Omega going to face next. Right. And you don't know. And you, and you can think of, or maybe you do the timing. I'm not sure, but most of the time you don't. Right. <laughs> right. Right. This time, you know, but like, but I hear what you, but I hear what you, I, I get what you're saying and I agree. And I think the pacing is a big problem for WWE, which with New Japan, their strategy for pacing feuds is brilliant. They they have the, the tag matches, the six-man tags, eight-man tags, whatever, and they have everyone splintered off into into groups, into factions, so that they there is a reason, like, why is this person teaming with this person? Oh, well, they're on the same team, on the same faction, whatever. I guess, and and that's a way they advance the, the stories, whereas with WWE... You can't like they just have the two wrestlers that are feuding just wrestle every week. And I don't it, know if that's necessary. I mean, so I don't watch Raw or SmackDown because um, I just I, you're I better think that way. Lies, that, <laughs> that way lies that way lies madness, right? It's just I it's, think it's if just, you only follow WWE by the pay per views, you would be a much happier person because watching week to week, it's so yeah. maddening. Just 
the storyline inconsistencies. And, yeah, and, I mean, and... so, like, here's, here's what I'll say, though. I, I don't think it's so much a issue of WWE's execution. I don't think – I honestly don't think that New Japan's execution is – that much, if any, better than WWE's in terms of like the execution of wrestling storylines. I think it solely comes down to the amount of content, honestly. Like I and you know I I can't speak That's to Raw SmackDown because I don't because I don't watch them. But I know when I did watch, I know that it was kind of the same shit, man. It was the same shit as you would see on the undercard of like I don't know. You can't sit there and tell me that like the undercard of Destruction in Hiroshima was like this amazing wrestling experience it was just it was just whatever it was just filler the same way that raw and smackdown are filler i think that new japan the, the meat is at the top for new japan for yeah sure. dude i mean and they so i mean the way you look at it the way i look at it at least is you know the undercards for these events in new japan those are the raws and smackdowns yes yeah. oh, oh you know for sure, for sure. And, and but like they're, but the, i feel though they're just not three hours long every week right but also with the undercards though you're still getting really good wrestling like like i mean that's what the name of the game is rest i mean sure some entertainment storylines whatever but you're getting great wrestling you're getting ishii in there with minoru suzuki for five minutes beating the hell out of each other to set and that's to set up a future singles that was a neat tag huh that well i feel like the undercard for king of pro wrestling was awesome (laughs) it was way better it was a pay-per-view on its own and the undercard for uh the u.s show they did last week fighting spirit unleashed was was great so sometimes these undercard i agree sometimes the undercards i kind of scan through them like especially if it's like Tai Chi or or whatever, like one of the like uh, or Yoshihashi or whatever. I'm like ah, whatever. I don't care about this match. Yeah. But with Raw, it's with Raw and SmackDown specifically, not so much the paper. Raw and SmackDown, uh, a TV match has such a frustrating formula for me because essentially, if it's a featured match, you can scan through the first segment because they always split it up by at least one commercial break, usually two. You can always scan through the first segment because nothing happens. Not, there might be one high spot right before the commercial, with, which is like a tope to the outside to get a crowd. This is some pop. Reddit shit you're getting into right now. You realize that, right? Like I, analyzing like where the commercial breaks and where the high spots exist. I, this I'm, stuff isn't for you, man. This what stuff I'm is saying, for kids. What, what I'm saying though is it like the having the TV format that they've constructed, where they want to have the commercial break in the middle of the of the match ruins the flow of the match you can't get invested in the match because once you come back uh, like if the heel if the face has the upper hand before the commercial when you come back the heel has the upper hand and you're like how did that happen you know i don't know i I, beyond that though i feel like just the tv matches are so slow it's just a rest hold whatever the only thing that matters in the tv matches and i hate i hate that we're we're going down this road because i don't like to be (laughs) negative i I like to try to stay as positive as possible but the only thing that matters i feel is like the last three minutes the closing sequence that's the only relevant part of the story and even if you watch the youtube clips that wwe puts up after raw that's usually all they include i think you're a guy complaining about baby metal right now (laughs) That's what I think you are. I, I mean, think, look, I'm I not... think you're a guy. I think you're a guy who likes a different thing, mm-hmm. and and like I, I and which is fine. Which and the, that's a great thing about wrestling right now, right? Um, but I think that's like I like WWE. I'm not, I'm not. I do too, man. Yeah. But like on SmackDown, they're not for us. Yeah, for I, that's fair. They're kid. They're for kids. And like I think that people get like really twisted up about that because they want it to be for them and they want to mm, love it. But I don't know if they're for kids. I mean. Uh, 10 to 11 is not for kids, you know, like it's on a pretty late time. 
Let's say kids. Let's say kids. I don't know. Kids stay up. I'm always horrified. I, I think, had to go to bed. I think like the eight. more accurate thing is like, really uh, it's for it's casual, for casual fans. fans. Not, yeah, not and so it's not kids. us. Man. Yeah, that it's I agree. Us. I agree. It's not. And and I really notice it when I go to house shows, which I love. I love going to house shows. It it reaffirms my enjoyment of pro wrestling because it's like because I I experience it vicariously through the little kids sitting next to me or whatever. And that is absolutely like that reminds me of what what a wrestling fan should my favorite be. shit like, is watching a kid lose his mind yes. from roman reigns it is my favorite shit yeah uh i agree and like it's like yeah of course this is for them you know i and for that part i agree but there are little things they could do that could make it for for the for the diehards which they as much as wwe says they're for the casuals they certainly very much market to the diehards as well and to your point about uh, oversaturation, what I wanted to say is, like, I agree, and the perfect example of that is NXT, which is a one-hour show. It is a perfect piece of television every week. Always, it's it's out there before I'm, uh, I'm sick of it, and there's, like, two or three matches. There's usually a featured match, which is a fun main event style match. Half of it's usually garbage, but it doesn't matter because it's only an hour long. Yeah, like, I don't yeah. Think, I don't think, dude, I'll, I'll say this, too. This is a hot take. I don't think NXT is like if you look at percentage wise i don't think nxt is any better than mainline we in fact i think it's worse like whenever there's like a whenever there's like a whenever there's a weekend where there's a we event like a mainline we event and like a main roster and then an nxt event i think the nxt event has like two or three really good matches but like the main like the like i don't know like if nxt is like 30% good matches, the mainline one will be like 50% good matches. But it's like six hours long, and so everybody's like, oh my god, this thing fucking sucks and hates it. But like, I don't know. Like, I think that's the pers- benefit of NXT is it's out it is. It's in it's and short. out in two and a half hours. You, you don't get short. sick of it. Exactly. I agree with you. So like, even when the stuff isn't great, and like you've got people who are haven't really figured it out, or it's just kind of like nothing filler matches, it's short. It's just an hour. I agree. Yeah. I, the other, but what I, what I enjoy about it though is they don't necessarily make the wrestlers hold back like they would on the main roster. Like they go all out on those takeovers, and you're getting essentially a super indie card within with WWE production. I think that's <laughs> the work, man. I think that that is that is what they've been. I think that is the same as the women's revolution. It's what WWE's been telling people for so long that they they bought into it. I, I think it's true though. I don't know. Like you, you're seeing Ricochet in the main event doing a Ricochet match. You're not seeing him do a WWE style. He's doing all the moves he did in PWG. It's nowhere near the atmosphere of it's a WWE sanitized version of PWG kind of. I feel. I don't know. I don't but know. Do you think like do you think do you think Seth Rollins holds back on the main roster or has to hold back? I mean, so here's here's a thing too. I mean, like so I think a lot of what gets yeah, interpreted as say yes. WWE WWE telling like WWE's holding Seth Rollins back. I don't know, man. I think I don't think Seth WWE Rollins... is holding him back. Yeah, I no, just, it's just it's I the think only. Seth way... is yeah, back. yeah. I'm not putting the blame on WWE. Get on the road, road 320 days a year. Right, right. Yeah, you, you have to work that right. Once or twice a week, maybe. Absolutely, I agree completely. That once you hit WWE, you're working four times a week. You have to save yourself for the big shows. And with NXT, you're not. You're only working the weekends. It, you could practice your mat. It's a much different environment. I'm not. Uh, yeah, I don't mean that to like blame wrestlers or I completely understand why why that is the case. But as a viewer and a consumer, I'm yeah. I'm not looking at the I'm not watching those three house shows a week that they wrestled in uh, before going to Raw and their super tie or whatever. I'm just watching Raw and 
And to me, selfishly, I'm like, well, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm more of a jaded guy. You know, I, like you said, like it's not necessarily fours, whereas NXT is targeted a little more towards. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. It is. It's the it's the niche product. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think we should wind down. We're, I feel like we really got into the meat of it right here towards the end of it and i enjoyed it and i'm sure we annoyed a few people with some takes oh no really uh i don't know i mean Can i, I enjoy hear it. from angry fans um or maybe i'm gonna hear from angry I love, fans i, I don't love know. all this stuff man let me just say this yeah. i love all this stuff i uh you mentioned like oh you know adam culver's ricochet is a pwg match man i saw that match at pwg right like i right. I, I i live in la and go to those matches um i dig all this stuff i uh i think the i do think that the WWE versus NXT argument is a fascinating one. And I think that it's really interesting in light of some of the stuff that's covered in the book. Let me bring it back around, Ooh. which is this idea of WWE creating their own competition, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. And, and WWE loves this. WWE loves that there are people out there who are like, wow, oh, mainline WWE sucks. I'm an, I'm not a WWE fan. I'm an NXT fan. Yeah, WWE they'll take it. Yeah. W- that people are saying that because it means you're fucking watching right yeah. and that's the work that's the fucking angle just like the and i, I mentioned the women's revolution earlier it's it's the same thing it's like they but love... the other thing too though is with the nxt is it moves a little slower they don't abandon their storylines there's like satisfying payoffs things you don't really nothing. see yeah right they... it moves much slower so they can deliver whereas with wb it's much faster paced things move people get injured stuff has to be moved and they're going for a broader audience too man right. you know like that's the thing like it's another thing i think that a lot of times folks kind of forget about WWE is that WWE is always like, and this is what brought WWE success, you know, initially in the eighties and then continually since then is that they are a three ring circus. They've got something going on for everybody on right. every card. You're As not going to like you are no one is ever going to love every moment of raw unless they do another one of the Muppet episodes. Right. <laughs> uh, and then I'll love it. I'll love every yeah, that was great. It. I was into that. Was the best. But like, yeah, like nobody's going to love all of it. Um, and so, like, you get this I, you get this perception that, like, everybody hates it because everybody just goes on and talks about the one segment that they hated when really there's, like, you know, there's some – I don't know. In every three-hour episode of Raw, there's usually some pretty dope stuff I haven't watched in a while. So maybe that's changed. But when I was watching week to week – I like always... that you, you haven't watched it, but you're still defending. <laughs> because I, because, I, because I, uh, I, I have confidence in the approach – and the people running it, honestly, they've uh, they've proven themselves time and time again. They know how to put on, yeah. you know, maybe not the perfect wrestling show for every viewer, but they know how to put on a successful wrestling promotion. And you know, the only the only metric for success of a wrestling promotion is how much fucking money they make. Yeah, and WWE is that real good. So, <laughs> yeah, they don't have a problem there. Before we uh, uh, wrap up. Do you have any fun anecdotes from working in WWE? I believe you work for the the website, right? Like the dot com. Yeah. Um, one time, um, so like it wasn't really all that fun, honestly. So and like <laughs> it we was were in a like job. A, like ultimately, it's job. a job. Also, it was like it wasn't even in Titan Tower. It was in um, like we were in like a ant like like in this like office space that they had rented nearby in Stanford because they just didn't have oh, room for it. Grew, yeah. Yeah, it sucked. Um, so like we didn't even get like wrestlers coming by and stuff. Um, I've got two funny things though. Um, one is that oh no, I've got I've got three real quick ones. Let's right? hear them all. <laughs> so uh, one time, um, a guy who did come through was Bob Backlund because he was getting interviewed for the website, uh, like a Where Are They Now thing, and he was like running some like propane or like kerosene business or natural heating oil something up in Connecticut, and he came through, and that guy is delightfully nuts. Um, and my friend, a friend of mine, interviewed him, 
and then they came out and they were like, you know, people were getting pictures with him and shaking his hand and talk to him and stuff. And, um, he asked my friend, he was like, Oh, um, do you want me to show you the crossface chicken wing? And my friend's like, yeah, sure. And he, and he just grabbed him and slapped it on him like legit. And I've never heard a more awful noise come out of a human being than what my friend made. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy old sinewy Bob Backlund put the crossface chicken wing on him and he let him go. And he looked at me. He says, you want me to put it on you? I go, no, no, absolutely not. Uh, so that's one. Uh, another one was, so I would go over to Titan tower but only to use the gym at the end of the day. Um, cause I never had any business over there or anything. And like one day I was, you know, it was after a long day and I was heading over to the Titan tower and dude, it's the same gym that they used to show in like the ICO uh, commercials, right? Like exactly. Like low, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like old, like promos and stuff. And they haven't, they, maybe they have now, but they hadn't updated or anything. It was I don't great. Think they had. I mean, like, I think the equipment's newer, but the decor, those like fluorescent lights. Yeah. It rules. Um, and so like I, uh, I would go into Titan Tower and I would, you know, I'd park in the parking deck and I'd go into the lobby and big statue of Andre there and everything. And, um, you know, I, I hit the elevator button and I was looking at my phone, just, you know, I don't worn out from a day at work and the doors opened up and it was triple H and Stephanie. And I got like the biggest, like stupid idiot grin on my face. And Stephanie came out for, and I didn't say anything. Right. Uh, but like Stephanie came out first and just like frowned at me, just utterly disgusted with like the, the fucking Mark waiting for her outside the elevator and triple H walked, walked by and kind of like just nodded at me, like, sadly, like, I know, like <laughs> I get it. Uh, so that cracked me up. And then the <laughs> other thing was I only ever. Uh, people always ask, you know, did you see Vince? Did you see Vince around? And like, no, not really, because that guy was always on the road. I'd see Shane around, and Shane introduced me, introduced himself to me on the, my first day, and remembered my fucking name, which I thought was insane. Um, but I never awesome. saw Vince, except sometimes I guess they had different equipment because he had his own private gym in Titan Tower, right? Oh, I um, didn't know this. Yeah, but like sometimes I guess he would want different equipment, and he would go into the regular gym with like the Hoi Polloi, right? And he would just be killing it, just uh, just being a monster. And whenever he was in there, you could place money on it. There would be ACDC playing. And one time I watched him do uh, chest flies while singing along to Money Talks by ACDC. <laughs> and it was the it was the best day I ever had. I mean, that was yeah, that's worth your employment, your entire employment there ever. <laughs> yeah, it's so crazy that I'm I'm convinced that Vince McMahon likes ACDC because he just saw them live when Rock did SNL that one time. And he was like, wow, this is great. <laughs> and I think Maybe. that's like, because anytime I hear anything about Vince and music, it's always, oh yeah, Vince just played ACDC. I went to a concert with Vince. We went to an ACDC concert. It's like the only band he knows. Maybe yeah. also Motorhead because of Triple H. But even that seems like a little too aggressive <laughs> for, for Vince yeah. McMahon. Dude, you know, the does, BPM's a little too loves, I can't tell, I can't speak to the reasons behind it, but I do know that that man loves ACDC, adores I mean, can it. Can you yeah. blame him? You know, who, <laughs> you know, I, like, I can't, man. Shit rules. It's, yeah, you can't. They made hits. The band made hits, Rob. Yeah, you can't, you can't knock it. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, I think that, that, that covers about most let's of end it. On, let's end on a pro ACDC note. Yes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, is there anything you've been listening to lately that you'd like to give a little shout out to? Yeah, man, dude, there was a uh, last week was a big, big week. Um, like, so I haven't even like really. I don't, I don't feel like I've listened enough to any of it. But the new High on Fire is really good. Yeah, dude, awesome. I, I mean, they always do. they're 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 in a, in their own way kind of an ACDC in that they always deliver. 
I was talking to a friend of mine. They're kind of motorheadish, right? Like, yeah. In the, like, they just like they do what they do pretty reliably. And like I liked Luminiferous a lot, um, but it was different. Um, this one's more. It's more of what we've come to expect from Matt Pike and the boys, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's really good. I like the new Coheed and Cambria a lot, which again is also just them doing what they fucking do. Um, the new, uh, the new Behemoth rocks my dick off though. Yeah. The new Behemoth is amazing. <laughs> that's probably my favorite thing that came out last week. Also, did you, I believe Conan. Uh, that was a few weeks ago. That I love came that out not too, too long ago. Conan, yeah. Conan is one of my like absolute. Fit. They're up there with sleep for me. Yeah, man, I love Conan. Yeah, cool, man. Well, Aubrey, thank you so much for taking Thanks some for time. Thanks for having me, man. Glad we this could finally really... get this. Yeah. Thing. It's available everywhere right now. Go get it. It's on digital retailers, your local comic book shop, anywhere you can buy books. They'll have it. Great holiday gift. Great yes. personal gift. I, I personally enjoyed. Uh, reading through it, I have it. I have it by my bathroom. <laughs> so anytime I, I have a, a you know a deep deuce, I, I, I get through some pages. Real excellent, and so it's great. It's where the most. That's where the most important reading happens. So I'm I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm proud to be there. Yes, and the most important thoughts I feel happen on the crapper. It's when you're really uh, at peace and focused on something else, so you can think about important things. <laughs> that's my thought. All right. And on that note, (laughs) thanks so much, Aubrey. Thanks, man. It's crazy to think that the year is almost over in WWE. We have uh, Survivor Series right around the corner. And with New Japan, which I'm just super into right now, it's Wrestle Kingdom, which is like their WrestleMania happening the first week of January, January 4th. And it looks to be a really fun one. They've been really on fire, New Japan, lately. Uh, Their last show was really really good with the Kenny Omega Kota Ibushi Cody Rhodes three-way dance I really enjoyed that match and I really enjoyed the match before it with the well, really the angle with Tanahashi Jay White and Okada and the Bullet Club on the WWE front the big controversy this week is uh, the Saudi Arabian show although to be honest I don't know if, if it's that big of a controversy but because uh, it you don't, I don't see too many people talking about it other than people I follow on Twitter, but uh, if you're not following world politics, the gist of the Saudi Arabian drama is that uh, a, a Saudi Arabian journalist who worked for the Washington Post uh, went to the Saudi Arabian consulate in Turkey, and the speculation is that the Saudis killed him based on negative things he said about the Saudi royal family and the Saudi government is not admitting to this but uh, it's there's like evidence the US has evidence of them talking about it and, and it certainly seems like that is the case and a lot of companies are pulling out there was a big business convention and Richard Branson pulled out and it, you know all of these companies are ceasing to work with Saudi Arabia so the question was is WWE going to do a show now that there's all this tension and, and today right before I, I started recording the show there was even quotes from senators like the senator from Connecticut telling them to that it's probably best if they don't go and and even Lindsey Graham who's a, a very uh, prominent Republican saying it's best that they don't go and you know you don't need a reminder that Linda McMahon is in the uh, you know, Trump cabinet as a small business administrator, as we talked about with Aubrey. And uh, so it's just, a, it's a very weird 
moment because I'm sure for WWE there, it's a lot of money. The, the first show is rumored to have grossed them $40 million. Uh, and just to give you a little context, WrestleMania, their biggest show of the year, grosses somewhere around, I don't know, 12 or 15. So it's a lot of money. Uh, but at the same time, <laughs> you know, maybe not the best people. So I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a sticky situation and it's something I feel like they probably knew would have happened eventually. But I don't know. It, it, it's getting, as the days go by, the tension gets stronger. Seems like WWE might either be canceling or relocating the show. We'll see. We'll see what happens the next time we get to the next episode of Squared Circle. Pit. Lining up some more pro wrestling guests. Hopefully, you can tune in. You could always follow Squared Circle Pit on Twitter at Squared Circle Pit. No e in the circle. We're on Facebook as well. You could just spell it out. Do it in the search bar. You'll see us. I'm Rob Injection on all social media. I'll see you next time.